Good morning, good morning. How we doing this morning? That was weak. How we doing this morning? It is Christmas. Merry Christmas to everyone. It is so good to be here and the thought that um, just the fact that you're sitting in here made it to another Christmas um, is an extension of the Lord's grace that is upon uh, your life. And I'm just I'm grateful to be gathered with the body of Christ on this day. And us being here really is it's a reminder that Christmas is not about us. You know, it's so it's so easy for us to um, gather with our own family and exchange gifts and eat. I don't know how you guys do on Christmas. Christmas is almost like Thanksgiving again for me. Um, but it's almost, you know, we, we can be so self-absorbed when it comes to Christmas. But it's something that we got up, broke our regular normal Christmas routine to make sure that we got to the house of God so that we could worship Jesus. Not that you can't do it at home, but it's something about corporate worship. Uh, worshiping Jesus, that is a, a good thing. So I am grateful to be here. Not only that, but we are coming to the end of a year. And, you know, when Gabe said it up here that this, you know, this is the last Sunday of the year, that's a reminder, like, man, how fast time goes. And, you know, the scripture talks about how life is like a vapor. You know, you spray a, a, some potpourri or mist in the air and think about how quickly it goes. That's what life is like. And so we are at the end of another year. Uh, and at the beginning of next year, I'd like to give you guys some detail and some instruction before I jump into the word of God. Uh, we will be doing our solemn assembly fast. It's an annual fast that we do every single year. Uh, I have the paper somewhere. We have details on it that I'd like for you guys to grab on your way out. Hospitality on the table right out in this uh, this main common area has some papers and some details on what fasting is and some details and instructions of what our solemn assembly fast will look like. Solemn assembly comes from Joel chapter 1 verse 14. Um, and it is a time that we get to consecrate ourselves and really consecrate the year back to the Lord. And so the first full week of every single year, we try to do this. So January 2nd to January 6th, we will be fasting. And when I say fasting, my hope is that we would do it for 12 hours straight every day. So what do I mean by that? 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'm hoping that we will shut down uh, our digestive systems uh, and not eat anything. I realize that everyone can't do 12 hours straight. Some people are on medication. Some people just can't do that. Um, and so we do have some alternative ways that you can fast. One of them is out of three meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, maybe you can skip one. Uh, but whatever the case may be, we'd love for you guys to participate. And we are not just fasting from food, but we also are fasting from, uh, from media. So from TV, shut down the TV for a week, uh, social media. You, do you realize how much time we waste on social media? And sometimes you're not even posting. You're just scrolling and looking and liking. And, um, you know, so we spend a lot of time on social media. And the, the goal of fasting is for us to take that time that we would have been doing other things like watching TV, eating food, and take that time and devote it to the Lord, spend time praying and spend time in our word. And so the week, the rhythm of that week will look a little differently for our, for our church as well. Normally we meet once, uh, well, twice a week we meet on Sundays, but we also meet for uh, our midweek uh, either Bible study or we'll do three weeks out of the month. We'll do our small groups. Uh, but this, this week will look a little differently. I'm just going to read it to you and then you guys can grab it on the way out. Monday, is spending time at home. If you live by yourself, individual prayer and devotion to the Lord. But if you live, you, if you have a family or you have roommates, if you'd spend that time trying to spend time with them through devotion and through prayer. So that's what Monday will look like. Tuesday will be here at 730. We'll be doing a time of prayer and testimony and encouragement. So that'll be here, not this Tuesday, the following Tuesday, the first full week of the year. Then Wednesday, we'll, uh, we'll meet as small groups. My hope and prayer is that we'll pack and jam our small groups as we're fasting corporately together. It's good to be around other people that are fasting to encourage you. 
Uh, Thursday, we'll, our DNA partners and clusters all around the city will meet. And so two or three people, four, maybe five, maybe a couple of DNA groups can come together. But the goal is on Thursday night for you guys to be all across the, the city and even some parts outside of, of Brooklyn. If you could be gathering with your DNA group so that you are going through um, really what some of the scriptures I have in our, our details and then Friday, we will be breaking the fast at 6 p.m. And my hope is that we'll break it together with people. Maybe, again, there's clusters. Maybe you want to do that with your small group. However you decide to do that, um, we'd love for you to participate. Please don't, um, don't, don't just look at this week as a week um, you know, that I'm, it's a regular week for me. It's the first week of the year. No, let's devote this time to the Lord and really get after Jesus corporately. Amen. All right, if you guys could turn with me to John, the book of John is where we're going to be. We are jumping back into and continuing our Advent series. How many of you guys enjoyed Dr. Mason last week? Amen. Grateful for him. Um, he, he could be anywhere preaching and decided to come and, uh, and spend time with us, which was a tremendous blessing for us. All right, if you guys could quickly get to John, the reason I say quickly is for two reasons. Number one is Christmas, so I want to get us out as soon as possible. Uh, but also, um, because I have 18 verses, and you guys know I like to go through verse by verse, so uh, that, that means we could be in here for a while if I don't jump right to it. All right, John chapter 1, continuing our Advent series, let me just give you guys a quick recap of where we've been and where we're kind of landing the plane today on this Advent series. Advent just means the arrival of a notable person. We say it every week this month that there's no one more notable than Jesus. We've been leading up to this idea of the birth of our Savior, the birth of Jesus. Uh, and it hasn't been a typical Advent series. So the first week we were in Genesis chapter 6 and we talked about our need for Christ. And so we pointed to our own sin. Genesis chapter 6, I mean... It literally says in, in verse 5 that the, the intentions of our heart were only set on evil. And so we got to see why we needed that baby in the manger, why we needed Jesus Christ. We needed him because uh, we are, our relationship with the Lord has been broken because of our sin. So Genesis 6 is where we were. We were in Colossians 1 two weeks ago as we talked about who is Christ, who is that baby in a manger and Colossians 1 made it very clear that he is the image of the invisible God. So everything we need to know about God, we look in the manger and see through Jesus Christ. And so neither one of those was a typical Advent sermon. Uh, but this week, I think we'll, we'll satisfy that Advent longing uh, by being in John chapter 1 and talking about the birth of our Savior. All right, John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Note this phrase. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light, make a little underline of those three words as well. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt or skeneoed among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and he cried out, this is he, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me really ranks before me because he is before me or because he was before me. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
We talked about this, this, uh, this verse last week. No one has ever, two weeks ago, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, talking about Christ, has made him known. I'm going to preach for a short amount of time today on uh, the first Christmas. The first Christmas. Let us pray. Father, this morning, we are grateful for Jesus. Uh, it is very cliche, uh, but nevertheless, it is true that he really is the reason for the season. He's not just the reason for the season, but he's a re- the reason for our lives. He's the reason why we gather. And I pray that we would uh, be faithful to preach about him today, sing about him, worship him and him only. Uh, Lord, I pray that Uh, You would bless our time. I pray that you would penetrate our hearts. Only your word is able to get deep down in our hearts. Yes, we can walk away and this can just be uh, intellectual. But my hope and prayer is that it would move from our head down to our hearts and really uh, grab a hold to us. And that we would be able to walk away and say, man, I really understand what Christmas is about. And it is not about the gifts that are under that tree. But it really is about the gift that was on the tree, which is Jesus Christ. And we thank you this morning. In Christ's name, we give praise and glory. Amen. A father called a impromptu family meeting. And during this family meeting, he began the meeting by saying, Christmas is going to be different this year. And then he began to list out why he wanted it or how he wanted it to be different. And so he was trying to tell his children to push against uh, the, the need to be busy and really be more productive with their time management. He talked to them about having better relations with extended family members that would be coming over for Christmas. He talked to them a little bit about um, being careful of how much you spend and running up debt during Christmas times. And at the end of his speech in this meeting, he climaxed it by making this statement, let us make this the best Christmas ever. Then after that, he asked the family, do you have any questions? And his second grader raised his hand with bewilderment on his face. And while he raised his hand, his father said, yes. And he said, well, how in the world are we going to make this the best Christmas ever? How do you improve upon the first one? This question that this second grader asked really is the burden of this sermon. How do we improve upon the first, the very first Christmas? The short answer is we can't. The long answer is worked out through the 18 verses that we just read. Now, Matthew and Luke, as it relates to the Christmas story, Matthew and Luke will give us a historical detailed uh, event of what was happening during the Christmas story. And so Matthew and Luke really walk through history for us. John doesn't walk through history. So I often wonder, what would the Christmas story be without the mention of a manger? What would the Christmas story be without the mention of Mary, without mentioning Joseph? What would the Christmas story be without mentioning any wise men, without mentioning any stars? What would the Christmas story be without even mentioning a baby? John's account is that everything I just listed out, John doesn't mention in his story. He goes back further than Bethlehem, but he goes back to the beginning of all time. And so although Matthew and Luke give us historical, uh, an historical account of the events that took place during the Christmas story, John doesn't do that. And my, my hope and now I, I don't want us to, to walk away and say, man, he's just so not in the Christmas spirit. Like he is just like Ebenezer Scrooge. Listen, I'm in the Christmas spirit. I tried to put on a little Christmas sweater today. Um, you know, we, we were up last night. I fell asleep, but we were up bumping uh, Motown Christmas. I don't know what you listen to, but my household, in fact, my wife still has the cassette tape of Motown, no lie, a black cassette tape of Motown music. I mean, when else are you going to hear the Temptations sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? No one sing it, sings it like the Temptations. Uh, Jackson 5, Stevie Wonder, the Supremes, like you get all of them on one album. So I, I'm in the Christmas spirit. We left the house this morning. I looked at the Christmas tree. My oldest, my youngest son named the Christmas tree Mr. Pine. So we're like... <laughs> We are all in the Christmas spirit, but my hope this morning, and, and the, really the goal of my short amount of time with you on Christmas, is to push us past Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. My hope this morning is to push us into look at the Christmas story through the lens of the Apostle uh, John. Uh, what, what you'll notice within, if you read the entire 21 verses of the book of John, What you'll notice is John's 
only attempt in this uh, in this uh, epistle is for not epistle, but this uh, account. The only goal that John has is to point us to Jesus. In fact, if you read chapter 20, verse 31, this is what it says. It says this book was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. John's one goal in writing this book was for us to look at Jesus. And that is what we're going to do this morning because John answers the second graders question. How can we approve upon this Christmas? John answers that. And what we're going to see within these 18 verses is really five portraits, portraits of Jesus. Really five of them. We're going to see that he's eternal. We're going to see that he is with God, meaning he's equal. We're going to see that he's the creator. We're going to see that he's the life giver. And then we're also going to see that he is the revealed one. Let us consider the passage together. Verse number one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse two, he was in the beginning with God. Unlike Matthew and Luke, John does not start the Christmas story here in Bethlehem. He does not start the Christmas story talking about a manger. John does not start the Christmas story talking about a baby, he reaches back before the incarnation of Jesus Christ and goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Note the first three words in our passage this morning, in the beginning. That sounds familiar. Why does that sound familiar? Because that is the first three, uh, the first three words of the beginning of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1. What does it say? In the beginning. John reaches all the way back and many Commentators suggest that John, in his account of saying in the beginning was the word, what he's doing is giving us a commentary on what took place in Genesis 1, 1 through 5. John shows us that the baby in the manger, that we're all here gathered together worshiping, the baby in the manger pre-existed before time. So if you think, oh, man, this baby just, I mean, he just stepped on the scene in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You're missing who Christ is. John just said, in the beginning was the word. Verse 14 is going to tell us in our same passage that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the word that John is talking about is Jesus. So he's saying, in the beginning, when God Elohim was saying, let there be light. Jesus, that baby in the manger was part of creation and not part of creation in, in the fact that he was created, but part of creation in the fact that he was the one creating. He's eternal. This is why you can't just read one passage, isolate the rest of the Bible and just say, oh, only God, the father created. No, John says Jesus did. Not only John says that, but remember Colossians one last week, two weeks ago, we saw that all things were created for him, but then it said, and through him. So Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger, is eternal. It's the first portrait that we get during the Christmas story. Look at verse number one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Scripture says that it was, it's, it's, it's known as prostantheon. The word was with God. It means an intimate relationship with God. But I need you to note the distinction here. The distinction between God the Father and Jesus Christ. Do you know how many people have a really bad doctrinal position called modalism, which means that God the Father stopped being the Father to become the Son, and the Son stopped being the Son to become the Holy Spirit? Scripture doesn't lend itself to that when I read that he was with God. That means there's a distinction. We just sang it. Uh, when we talked about how he's God in three persons and Jesus Christ is second in the Trinity. And so you want to know proof because it doesn't just say that he's with God. What does the verse end up saying at John chapter one? And the word was God. So that baby in the manger is God. Jesus Christ is God. If you struggle trying to find out if Jesus is God, you need to look no further than the first verse of John chapter one. He was with God, but the scripture also tells us he's with God. Or he is God. Now, you need proof for how he is God. Verse two and three, really, verse three gives us the proof that he is God. Here's the proof that he is God. It says he was in the beginning with God. Verse number three says all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. You want proof that the baby in the manger is God? John just said that he created. 
Only God is able to create. And so we see that Jesus is a he's a participant in the creation story. And so the baby that's in a manger and swaddling clothes, the swaddling clothes that he was in, he created. The manger he was in, he created. The, the animals that would have been around in this manger, Jesus Christ, the baby that's in a manger, created. How do I know that? Because it says all things were made through him. I love this because he really, he tackles every avenue of this. All things were made through him. Well, he couldn't have made the stars. Oh, well, then he says, but without him was not anything made that was made. Without Jesus Christ, nothing's made. And so we see that the baby in a manger, he is eternal, but he also is a creator. Let's keep going. Verse number four, because we, we, we get another portrait in verse four. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And so the baby in the manger is responsible for physical life in terms of him creating but the scripture here doesn't just talk about physical life. When it says he is the life, it's talking spiritual life. And so the baby in the manger isn't only responsible for creating you. He's also responsible for saving you. Jesus Christ is life and he is the life of men. Let me back that up with some scripture. Scripture, Ephesians chapter two. God, this is verse four, made us alive together with Christ. Jesus is a life giver. Acts chapter seven, uh, 17, verse 28. For in him, talking about Jesus, we live, we move, and we have our being. This is my favorite. John chapter 15, verse five. This is what Jesus says. I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you ever seen branches apart from a tree? Branches apart from a tree have no source, have no nutrients. They're dead. They just need to be thrown into the, to a fire. In fact, I, um, I purchased a fire pit in my backyard. I got a small, teeny-weeny little backyard, but purchased a fire pit uh, as a little sanctuary to go back and roast some marshmallows. And, and so when I purchased this fire pit, I realized, first of all, it's not easy to find wood in Brooklyn. I mean, let me just, it's a lot easier when I was out in the suburbs, but living in Brooklyn, it's hard to find wood. Not only that, but it's expensive to buy it. And so I, I set off on a quest to try to find some wood. And also at the same time, we were trying to find a Christmas tree a couple of weeks ago. And we went to Home Depot, found a tree for $29.99. The reason I have to give you the price is because, I don't know if y'all know this, there are parts of Brooklyn where trees are $150. I was down in Park Slope. They were talking about some trees for $150, and people was buying them. I couldn't believe it. We found a tree for $29.99, and we jumped on all over it. And so when we got it, there's two things we needed to do. We needed to wrap it up because it was kind of out, and we, need to, we had to put it on our, on our roof, so we had to wrap it up. But before we wrapped it up, we needed to trim some of the branches because the branches were kind of like sticking all out. And so we take it to the guy, he puts it on this little machine thing and he cuts off the branches. And it was interesting to note that he took all of the branches that he cut off and he threw them in this huge barrel full of branches. And so, you know me, I'm like, I got a fire pit at home. Wood is expensive. Uh, let me try to cut corners and take some of this wood. And so I said to the man, I said, what are you going to do with these branches? And he said to me, well, all of those branches are going to die because they're not connected to the tree. So they're free. If you want them, just take them. So I loaded up a couple boxes and put them in my trunk. The point I'm trying to make in giving you this story, I'm not just trying to give you a life here. The point I'm making in the story is you and I in this room, apart from Jesus Christ, are the dead branches that's in that barrel. We're not connected to a source. We're not connected to the life giver. Verse four just told us the baby in the manger in him was life and he was the life of men. And so it's clear that Jesus Christ is life. Let's keep going. Verse four, verse five. Let me read verse four and five because they kind of go together. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When it talks about darkness here, it's referring to the spiritual state of all of humanity. It's talking about sinfulness. 
All of us are apart from Jesus are living our lives in darkness. If you're in this room and do not know Jesus, you may feel like you're in the light, but you are living in darkness. And don't feel bad about that because every single one of us at one point were living in darkness. First Peter 2 9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Watch this so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. When it says called you out of darkness, it's talking about calling you out of sin. And so when it says here that the light shines in darkness, it's saying this light, Jesus Christ, that baby in the major, has more power than all of the darkness in all of the world. And he's able to shatter it. Anytime the New Testament talks about darkness, apart from two times, everything else is talking about the spiritual state of man. The other two times is at the crucifixion when it talks about darkness. And then when it talks about the second advent, when Jesus comes back for us, it says that the moon will be dark. So those are the only literal times it's talking about darkness. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 is the moment we were in darkness, the day you eat of this tree. What happens? Our forefathers, Adam and Eve, ate of the tree and spiritual darkness spread in everywhere. How do I know that? Because Paul picks it up and says, sin entered the world through one man. So death spread to all men. All of us are in a state of darkness, but we can rejoice at the fact that Jesus Christ brings light. 21 times John talks about darkness in this book, 21 times. Look at the B part though. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It does not matter how dark the world is. Darkness cannot overcome an infant in the manger. Darkness can't overcome it. If I was to black out all of the windows in the back and I was to turn all of the lights off and I was to light one small match up here or one small candle and sit it up here, the darkness in the room, no matter how pitch black it is, will not put that candle out. I was in the woods of Georgia in the summertime, in the deep woods of Georgia. I'm talking, there were no street lights in the deep. So it was so dark that at night I could put my hand in front of my face and literally could not see the palm of my hand. That's how dark it was in these woods. And I was there with a couple of pastors, and one night we decided to sit around a campfire and, and talk a little bit and pray. And as we lit this fire, it lit up the whole area we were sitting in. It didn't matter how pitch black the woods were. The woods, the darkness that were in the woods, could not put out that campfire. What, am I, what do I mean? I'm just simply quoting verse number five. The darkness has not overcome the light. You can deny the light, but you can't put it out. You, you can say, I don't trust Jesus, and you can go out on these corners where Hebrew Israelites are sitting with a blowhorn, and they're going, read, and somebody's over here reading. And they're, they're, you, can, you can deny the light all you want to. What you can't do is put that light out. Scripture just said in verse number five, the darkness has not overcome it. Now watch number verse number six. Let's do six and seven. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. This is interesting to me. You know why this is interesting? Because verse number six almost feels like it's out of context. Why do I say that? Because verses four and five talked about a light. Verse seven talks about a light. But sandwiched in between verse four and five and verse seven is verse six which introduces us not to the light, but to the witness about the light. Verse number six introduces us to John the Baptist. Why does John think that it's necessary and he deem it necessary in verse four and five and seven to talk about light and verse six to talk about John the Baptist? You know why he does? Because what he's showing us is that we have a, a joint participation in the Christmas story, he talks about the witness of the light. Now, Jesus, uh, God did not have to use a man to be a witness to the light. He could have used the angel Gabriel. He could have used the archangel Michael. He could have had the wind blow and speak to people and they be saved. But he doesn't do that. He uses you and I to talk about the light. 
Like that is that you have a responsibility. When we leave this gathering, many of you will go to your family's house or they'll come to your house. We will gather with people that don't know Jesus, family members and friends. Verse six tells us you have a responsibility in this room to tell people about that baby in the manger. Verse six doesn't have to be in the Bible. He could have talked about the light in verse four, five and just jumped to seven. But he doesn't do that. He introduces us to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was not the first witness. John the Baptist stood in a long line full of witnesses. Can I read some of them to you? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, uh, Amos, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I'm simply reading the Old Testament prophets. All of them pointed to the light that was to come. The difference between John the Baptist and the rest of the Old Testament prophets was they all pointed to what was to come. John the Baptist is able to stand at the banks of the Jordan River and say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist got to talk about being a witness to the light from a place of being there with Christ. And you and I in this room that have been impacted by Jesus should do the same thing if you guys know anything about your bible between malachi and matthew it was 400 years of silence it was nothing no one was talking 400 years of silence it was almost like god wasn't even there he was just silent and then out of nowhere a man wearing camel hair a leather belt eating bugs and honey decides to show up and start talking about this witness of the light. And this witness theme will develop throughout the rest of the New Testament. Read Acts. Acts is full of witnesses that bore witness about the light. You and I in this room have a responsibility. Do not think Christmas is just about you opening up gifts. It's about you telling someone about Jesus. Did you hear that I said earlier that the entire state of humanity apart from Jesus Christ is in darkness? The only way they'll come into being in the light is through you. We are ambassadors of Christ and you have to be able to share the gospel with people. Now, do it wisely, though. The reason I say do it wisely is my wife sent me a video of, of a pastor uh, that went to the mall and kids were getting on Santa's lap and he's standing at the, I don't know if you guys saw this video, he's standing at the line and yelling, that's not real, Santa's not real, in front of the kids, you need to turn to Jesus. Parents are getting mad, they're coming up. He's like, don't touch me, don't touch me. It's this whole weird thing that he does. Don't share the gospel like that. That's a, you're a turnoff when you do that. You hinder the message of the gospel when you do that. You know how you want to share the gospel during the Christmas time? Build relationships. Talk to family members. Do, do you know why, we're, why we worship Jesus today? Well, let me tell you why. And you don't have to be a scholar. Just be a witness. Just simply be a witness to the light. John the Baptist was a witness. Let's keep going, though, for the sake of time. I am running out of time, and I'm at only in verse 8. Uh, he was not the light. Okay, so although he, he bore witness about the light, he knew that he was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. Even he says this. John says he's not the light. John, I'm talking John the Baptist. Even he says it in chapter 3, verse 28. He says, I am not the Christ. I have been sent before him. Then he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. In other words, I'm not, John the Baptist knew, I'm not in the wedding party. party. I'm just an usher. I'm the one going, there's two seats over here, there's three seats over here. I'm the one gathering people together to sit down to look at the light. John the Baptist would have known that. What you and I are in this room is we're like the moon. The moon does not give off its own light. It reflects 3 to 12% of the sun's light. You want to know what you and I are? We, are? we are glory reflectors. We reflect the glory of Christ in our lives. So you're the moon. We're not the sun. But John the Baptist knew it. John the Baptist said, I am not the light. Now, the B part of verse number eight rocks me because it says he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The question I asked myself all week was, why does light need an announcement? If again, if I was to pitch black this room, black out the windows, turn off the lights and media was to turn the lights on. I would not have to sit up here and make an announcement to you that the lights were on. 
You would know. You would see the light unless we're all blind. If we're all blind in this room, somebody has to make an announcement the lights are on. John the Baptist and our responsibility during this Christmas season is to tell people that are in darkness and people that are blind that the light is here. That is your responsibility and do not run from your responsibility. Why? Because blind people that don't know Jesus at the end of their time, their expiration date, they have to pay for their sin. So you need to tell people about Jesus. Second Corinthians 4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them, listen, from seeing the light of the gospel. The gospel in and of itself is the light to people that are blind and in darkness. And we have to tell people about that. The greatest miracle is not on 34th Street. The greatest miracle is when you see blinded eyes open to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest miracle. It's the greatest miracle. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, having the eyes of their heart enlightened. And so we have a responsibility, not just to talk about any old light, but look at the rest of the text. Verse number nine, first three words, the true light. I don't know if I told you to underline that, but you should underline that Jesus Christ is the true light. He's not uh, the brightest bulb in the pack of six. He's the only bulb in the pack. So all other religions that say they have the light, at best they're flickering lights that do not stay limb, that do not stay lit. Jesus Christ, according to John, baby in the manger, is the true light. He's our only hope. You have no other hope. Like, let me just, I'm trying to be as explicit as possible. There is no other hope for the world. We only have Jesus Christ. He is the true light. Verse 10. I'm starting to move a little fast. I see that clock moving. Verse number 10. He was, he was in the world, the world, and the world was made through him. It goes back to him being a creator. Yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is interesting because now we see that the one that's the creator, the one that was the life giver, the one that was the light, we also see that he's the rejected one. His, he came into the world and his own people did not know him. His own people. It's always interesting when you read through who knew Jesus in the New Testament and who didn't. When you look in the, the New Testament, you'll see people like uh, 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 his disciples. He says, who do men say I am? What do they start to say? Some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Others say one of the prophets. They were confused. Oftentimes, his own, his, the, the Jews didn't even know him. His own people did not know him. You know who did know him? You know who got it right? The demons. Anytime he walked up, they said, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting that the demons knew Jesus Christ, yet his own people didn't know him? Listen, you in this room, have an, don't let this verse, don't let verse 10 and 11 hang over your head that you don't know Jesus. You have an opportunity this Christmas morning to know who Jesus Christ is. We don't have to be like the disciples saying, some say Elijah. No, we get, we're privileged to have all 66 books to get to know who Jesus Christ is. Let's keep going again for the sake of time. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. I love this. He gave them the right to become the children of God, not friends. He didn't give them the right to be associates. He did not give them the right to be acquaintances and Facebook friends and IG buddies. He gave them the right to become children of God. Do you realize how, how mind-blowing that is? Think back to our first Advent sermon in the first Sunday in, in December. Genesis 6 shows the sinful nature of all humanity. But you fast forward to John chapter 1. He says those that believe in Jesus are children of God. You get to call God your father because the cross worked as a hammer that smashed the dividing wall that stood against you and God. So this cute little cuddly baby in the manger 33 years from now is going to go to a cross and reconcile you and I back to God so that we become children of God. And if you're a child of God, you are according to Philippians, an heir of God as well. 
you have right to being adopted into his family. How? Dang, I almost felt like going, how, Sway? Almost, it, just, it almost rolled right out. I don't know how, where that came from. That, that was flesh. That wasn't the spirit. <laughs> Listen, how in the world is, does this happen? How does God reconcile man? Let me tell you how it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by anything that you're able to bring to the table. Can I show you that in the text? Verse 13. I'm just walking through the story of the, the Christmas story. Verse 13. Who were born. Let me read 12 in concert with 13 because they go together. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Listen, nor of the will of man, last three words, but of God. You and I in this room get to be, if you've trusted Jesus, you get to have salvation not because of the will of you but because of God. It has nothing to do with you. You had no part in it. The only thing you bring to the table of salvation is the sin in which makes salvation even necessary. It's the only thing you and I bring to the table. God does all of the work. And so we're not saved because we desired it. We're not saved because we worked hard enough to get it. You and I in this room are saved not because of the will of the flesh, not because of the will of man, but because of God. Do you see the last three words in verse number 13? But of God. And that is what salvation is. Now, if you notice something, we still have, he still has not explicitly told us who he's talking about. We've made assumptions and connected other texts, but we have not explicit, explicitly heard who he's talking about. And we still don't get it really to verse 17. But look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son, the father, full of grace and full of truth. When it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it literally means he pitched a tent. If you read the message Bible, now I don't often say read the message Bible. I mean, I feel like there are times where I'm like, man, is the message Bible about to curse? Like there are times where I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know where this is going. But if you read this verse in the message Bible, this is what it says. The word became flesh and blood. And moved into the neighborhood. That's good theology right there. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the one who was a part of creation, put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He put on flesh and became one of his own creation. That is mind-blowing to me. And so the invisible became visible. The unknowable became knowable. Like, consider this. The unseen has become seen. The mystery has become Reality and the untangible has become tangible. God and his transcendence and his bigness has decided to be imminent, not intimate, but imminent with you and I and dwell amongst you and I. That is the good news of the Christmas story. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity of body, bodily body dwells. In other words, what I'm saying is that Jesus Christ was able to come into the world and not lessen who he was. He still was God. Baby in the manger, still God. So he did not stop being God. Let's keep moving. Verse number 14, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. You know how huge this is that Jesus Christ, the first time he came, came in full of grace and full of truth. You know why that's big? Because the second time he's coming, he's not coming full of grace and full of truth. Read, the, read Revelations 19. Bible says his eyes will be like fire and his tongue will be like a sword to chop down the nations. What I'm saying is rejoice and even serve Jesus now because the first advent, he came full of grace and full of truth. And he could have came the first time like he's coming the second. And the second time he's coming, he is not coming full of grace, but he's coming in wrath and judgment. And it's holy wrath and it's holy judgment. Verse 15, John bore witness about him. And he cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me really ranks before me because he was before me. That's mind blowing. In other words, he's saying the one in whom I'm preparing the way for really was around when my great, 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 great grandfather had his son. And he really created my great, 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 great grandfather. He's saying the one that comes after me really is before me. 
And it's mind-blowing when you think about this. Verse 16, though. For from his fullness, we have all received, I love this, grace upon grace. Think about your own sin in your own life. Think about this. If Jesus just bought grace, that would have been good enough. But the text tells us in verse 16 that he bought grace upon grace. When you consider your own sin, I rejoice at the fact that God brings us grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. You know how many times you fell in this room? Okay. You know how many times this week you fell in this room? You're like, well, maybe not with my actions. You know how many times you fell with your thoughts this week? Grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. You should be rejoicing at that. You, the only people that rejoice after grace is the people that know that without it, I'd be, I'd be lost. I'd be lost without grace. But because of Jesus Christ, the baby in a manger, the one that the, all of the world is, not everybody, but most of the world is celebrating Christmas about, that one brings grace upon grace. Now, finally, in verse 17, we, he, we have not got his names explicitly yet. But finally, in verse 17, as we start to land the plane, John tells us who he's talking about. Look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but through Jesus Christ, we get grace. Do you realize that the law, see, many people think when I'm talking law, I have no time to deal with the 600 laws in the Old Testament, over 600 laws. Let's just deal with 10 commandments. Deal with like, that's the crazy part of the law. You can't keep 600. You, you can't even keep the 10 moral ones. Don't kill. Don't steal. I know you're like, well, I haven't killed. Some of you look a little shady in here. So maybe, <laughs> maybe you did. I don't know. But here's the thing about the, the 10 commandments. We fail at entry-level morality. Entry-level morality. Don't worship any other gods. Have no other gods before me. We fail at that. And even though you may be in here saying, I've never killed anybody, doesn't Jesus pick that up in John chapter 5 and say, if you've had anger in your heart, you've already done it. And so really what Jesus is saying is, you don't get a 90 on the test, you got a zero. Because if you fail at one of them, you failed at all of them. Here's the thing. Moses brought the law, which was never intended. The law was never intended to be a list that you had to keep. It's really a list to show you that you couldn't keep them. That is why we needed Jesus. Because Jesus is the only man that ever walked this earth that was able to 100% spotlessly keep every single law. That's why we needed Jesus. Now, yes, you're saved and you want to aspire to look more like Jesus in keeping what God deems as his holiness through the law. But outside of Jesus Christ, we stand before God and try to measure up to the law. We'll be crushed. That's why we rejoice at the baby in the manger, because after we celebrate and the wise men fall to their faces and worship Jesus, 33 years, he lives perfectly. And we don't. But yet we get accredited with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he gets condemned with your sin. It's the gospel message. And so when we do witness, I talked about us being a witness. When you are being a witness, do not be a witness as though you're privileged, as though you're in some type of privileged position. No, you made it in by grace. None of us in here have swag in heaven. All of us are making it through grace. Verse 18, we're ending here. No one, and I'm not going to deal with this verse long because we talked about it two weeks ago. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger, reveals to us what God the Father is like. Anything you want to know about God the Father, all we have to do is peek into the manger. This is the Christmas story. This is the Christmas story without mentioning mangers. This is the Christmas story without eggnog and Christmas cookies and mistletoes and Rudolph. This is the Christmas story from a theological place looking back at Jesus Christ. And that is what our goal is. When we leave here, 
You will gather with unbelieving friends and family. What will you share with them about Jesus Christ? I'm not saying you have to exegetically walk through the text. What will you share about the goodness of Jesus Christ? Here's what I know. Most of you in this room, not all, most of you in this room, if you reflect on your 2016, you haven't shared the gospel message of Jesus Christ with anybody. But yet verse 6 tells us that we have a responsibility within the Christmas story. In other religions, men are promised to be gods. But in our religion, in Christianity, God became a man to go to a cross to die for you and I. Let us pray. Father, this Christmas morning, we are rocked by the fact that Jesus Christ decided to leave his throne from heaven where he was being worshipped, to come down, to live amongst us, as the Message Bible says, to move into the neighborhood. And, and when we consider the incarnation of Jesus Christ, I pray that it would move us, Lord, to awe and wonder and praise and adoration for Jesus Christ. Why? Because he wasn't plan B, but he was your plan A. You sent Jesus, your only son, to die on our behalf. And yes, we worship him and think about his birth. But it's impossible, Lord, for us to think about his birth without fast forwarding and thinking about his death. He did not come just to die. But Jesus Christ came first to live. Why did he have to live? Because we needed somebody that can live perfectly. Because if he wasn't born to live perfectly, we have, we have nothing to stand before you with. But because of his perfect righteousness, we now, that have trusted in Jesus, get to be accepted on that basis and that basis alone. Father, that rocks us. And I pray that today as we gather with our family, we would tell people about Jesus. And that we talk with our friends. Not only tell people, but I pray that our lives would reflect him. Help us, Lord. We, many of us in this room have deep fears about sharing this message of Jesus Christ. Many of us have deep fears. I'm going to be asked that one question I don't know how to answer. Father, you don't need us to hit a home run to save people. We can just talk about you. Talk about your goodness. Talk about how you've impacted our lives. And you could use that. For honest, many of us in here were saved not off of someone being so eloquent in the scriptures, but just the fact that someone told us the good news about Jesus. Would you give us a burden? Would you give us a desire? Would you give us a heart to share this Christmas story? Beyond lights and gifts and candy canes, help us to share Jesus today. It's in Christ's name we do pray.